the supply chain, as Eric said, is complex. The the scheduling of the patients is complex. The manufacture is complex. So it, it's quite disruptive for a normal healthcare, which is used to receiving a non-living drug, as Judy mm-hmm. said, these are living drugs. Um, so, so we look at barriers for, for developers and we try to work to overcome them. You're listening to Building the Future, a podcast by Cadans Science Partner. And my name is Rudy van Beurden. In this podcast, I meet innovators, trailblazers and bright minds who are busy building the future. In 20 years, cell and gene therapies for cancer will be commonplace. In this episode, we'll discuss the statement together with three inspiring guests who know everything about the future of cancer therapies. What does that future look like for patients and how far along are we? Cancer is one of the world's most devastating diseases. Its treatment can be punishing and have several nasty side effects. Fortunately, scientists have a better idea now how to treat it. And the experimental techniques being used now may be commonplace in the future. At least that's what many experts think. I'm curious what our guests today think. Yes, here we go again for yet another episode of Building the Future. And with me here at the tables are Strudy Stratemans, assistant professor at UMC Utrecht, the University Hospital, right in the middle of the Netherlands. Erik Manting, CEO of Immunicum. And across the street, across the channel actually, in the UK, is Jacqueline Barry, the Chief Clinical Officer of Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult. A warm welcome to all of you. Thanks, Hi. Good day. So yeah, I, I mentioned the statement, which is in 20 years, cell and gene therapies for cancer will be commonplace. And first and foremost, I'm super curious what you think about it. Do you agree or disagree? And I know you're a scientist, so you want to elaborate. But first and foremost, I only want to hear a yes, agree or a no, disagree. What do you think, Trudy? I disagree. Disagree. And Erik? I agree. Agree. And Jacqueline? I agree. All right. So it's two against one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we uh, can start with uh, with the with a disagree it was, Erik. Oh, sorry, Trudy. Um, why do you disagree? Yeah, I actually disagree because I will say it's already commonplace. Um, and although I'm biased, so that's the nuances because I work in hematology department, but there we actually treat our patients already with uh, a product that's in cell, and gen- genetically modified cell product um, for certain diseases. Mm-hmm. So for our, our clinical department, it's 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 really a, a one of their options to treat their yeah. patients. Yeah. And Erik, before we dive in deep very quickly already, because within this series of podcasts, Building the Future, we hear about so many innovations. And for me, as just a nitwit moderator, I have hardly one idea what cell and gene therapy is. It was a steep learning curve, the preparation for this interview. But can you tell briefly for the listeners what we talk about cell and gene therapy? Yeah, so I think the reason I agree um, with the initial question is in start similar to what Trudy summarized. So there's a lot possible already in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. And some of that is already uh, becoming a reality. And certainly in 
cancer immunotherapy, there has been a huge wave of innovation and the cell and gene therapy space has been part of that. Mm -hmm. and so we now already work, including uh, through this own center, with genetically modified immune cells that help address uh, cancers. So in that sense, the start is there, yeah, but I think to make it commonplace, first, if you look at the field of cell and gene therapy, it's much broader than cancer immunotherapy. And if we talk about commonplace, you would expect it to be broadly applicable. That's where there is a much larger challenge. Yeah? If we talk about tissue regeneration or restoration of genetic disorders via gene therapy, that kind of technology is still very far away. Mm -hmm. um, and it may also never become a reality for all diseases or maybe not even necessary for all diseases. And the other aspect is that the factual rollout of this type of technologies is still held back to a large extent by technological steps that we need to take. And that includes uh, scalability, that includes manufacturing infrastructure, and maybe as a last element, uh, also an emancipation of the hospital system. And so uh, advanced therapies are currently available for patients in academic hospitals that are in the front of the technology, like your own center, of course, Tree. Mm -hmm. um, but in many other hospitals, they are simply not yet available. So I think to make it commonplace, it will take also innovation in terms of logistics, distribution, manufacturing, etc. Yeah, but at the very core of it, what are we talking about? Because it was something that was figured out in the 80s and then only in 2006, 2012, it, it finally picked up pace, mm -hmm. or maybe Trudy, maybe you can elaborate very quickly for the nitwit listener. Sorry, I don't want to offend you guys and girls, but what is it? Cell yeah, and gene I, I can explain. I can explain what we do. I can explain um, we develop, it's, it's, it's actually a living drug what we make. Eh? So it's it's a, it's a cell product. Um, at this moment, mainly from the patient itself, we take cells, we uh, add gene into these cells that's a so-called sensor or a receptor we call it and then we uh, expand the cells in in so-called clean rooms very uh, clean and highly uh, controlled uh, laboratories and uh, when we have sufficient cells uh, we give the cells back to the patient and in the patient these cells start circulating and encounter a tumor cell and if they do so they start become activated divide and fight against the cancer mm -hmm. so that's the principle of the uh, of the of the of these products that are uh, approved and the unique thing in utrecht is what we 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 choose a, a particular receptor that um that is different from the ones that are approved so we are currently testing this and um uh, our, our receptor can discriminate based on, on, on the metabolic uh, um, characteristics of our cancer uh, mm -hmm. and therefore discriminates between healthy and, and cancer cells. Yeah. yeah. So maybe along this, alongside in this uh, conversation, we will see that all three of you will work in the same space, actually, in the same field, but you approach it in different perspectives. So maybe Jacqueline, across the channel in the UK, you... Um, the British people also took up this uh, new in initiative. And I guess since 2012, um, cell and gene therapies catapult is active, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. So we were established by the UK government in 2012. Mm -hmm. And our, our hope is to make the the UK attractive to developers for, for um, cell and gene therapies and increase the availability for patients to, to receive these potentially curative treatments. 
Um, and we do that in a number of ways. We might help people with their, their development of their product and how they manufacture it. Um, or we might help them with uh, the regulatory strategy or picking up on Eric's earlier point. Uh, we're working at with the healthcare service, the NHS here in the UK, to make the them ready to accept these quite disruptive drugs. The supply chain, as Eric said, is complex. The the scheduling of the patients is complex. The manufacture is complex. So it, it's quite disruptive for a normal healthcare, which is used to receiving a non-living drug, as Judy mm-hmm. said, these are living drugs. Um, so so we look at barriers for, for developers and we try to work to overcome them. Mm-hmm. And what, in your words, Jacqueline, would be the benefits and the big potential of this way of treating people who have cancer? Because I also saw a small little video in which your CEO said back in 2012, I got myself a phone, someone handed it to me and together with a check of 70 million pounds, we didn't even have a bank account and we just had to start doing something. So at that point, several people should highly believe in it. What makes them so enthusiastic to start working on this new way of treatment? I suppose because these drugs... um are to a certain extent personalised medicines. So as Trudy said, you, you may use the patient cells and then genetically engineer them. So it's quite a, a personalised medicine that will actually treat their particular cancer. Um, I think that's one thing, but I also think the main opportunity for these is they're actually able to potentially cure diseases. And I, I really hesitate in saying that, but with some of the... Uh, genetic disorders uh, that children may have, they may receive a gene therapy and they may be cured for life. Um, there's a, a gene therapy that was recently approved called Sol- Solgemsma, um, which treats uh, spinal muscular atrophy, which isn't cancer, I appreciate, but you know this is given to children who have a really limited uh, life expectancy and it seems to be prolonging it greatly. So these, these truly are transformative and potentially, potentially mm-hmm. curative. Yeah. And yet as well, Eric, another benefit is that people should not have to take medicine all their life, like taking pills every single day or every single week, but maybe but only one treatment potentially could be cured from several diseases. Yes, I think even what you are describing really would not be so bad, right? If cancer becomes a chronic disease. But unfortunately today, uh, that's also not a possibility, right? It's basically all or nothing. So you're either successful in treating the cancer fully or there's remaining disease and the cancer comes back, which is of course the biggest fear of any cancer patient. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, cancer immunotherapy um, and also cell-based cancer immunotherapy uh, has the potential to address these two topics. So on the one hand, generate therapies that have a better toxicity profile or that are not so uh, toxic as current today's chemotherapies, for example. And and next to that, um, if you have the possibility to use the immune system, um, and for example, we believe vaccines, and we work with cell-based vaccines as Immunicum, have that potential, um, you can use the immune system to build up what's called immunological memory. Mm -hmm. Once you have established that, that is a good basis for prolonged survival and the prolonged duration of the clinical response. So, and I think that's something very different from today's therapies, like including surgery or chemotherapy, what have you, which is one big blow to the tumor. And actually that's also the case 
to a large extent for the CAR T therapies that we talked about. Eh? So the new T cell based therapies, they are very potent. Um, so they deliver a very serious blow to the tumor that was not responding to other therapies, for example. But the durability is still a challenge mm -hmm. because, again, if there's a residual disease, it will come back. And that's that's the next thing I think that we want to get under control. Yeah, yeah. So for clarification, this type of concept of treating patients could be used in, in many, many diseases or disabilities or whatsoever. But now for the, for the sake for this very interview, we only have 40 minutes. We will zoom in on cancer. But maybe, Eric, as well, because you have a background in biology. You studied this in Groningen, if I'm right, in the mm -hmm. north of the Netherlands. But then, all of a sudden, you went into banking for about 10 years or maybe even longer. And now you're back within the field. What's your motivation to work on this and to be part of the group that's right at the frontier? Yeah, and I think also that is, to a certain extent, um, covering the field. Um, so... When I was a biologist, I realized that there was a banking world and the banking world at that time, and that was the end of the 90s, early 2000s, realized that there was a business in biology, which they basically didn't understand. So for me, that was a very interesting step into a completely new world. But I think also if you look at the industry as a whole and innovation as a whole, um, the banking industry, the financial world, the stock markets have been an immense motor behind this type of innovation. And that was, of course, initially um, in the late 90s when also, for example, information technology and telecom and everything that we have today, we were dreaming of at the time, eh? 4G, now 5G, and uh, the way we are connected, virtually connected now also in this world, that was all in the making, but it was also financed. And currently we are going through a similar wave of innovation in biotechnology. So there's a lot of money around, and I hope it's also money that will be well spent. In other words, that there will be a continued push for this type of innovation. And yeah, maybe it sounds a bit big, but I do believe that it will create also a new frontier for mankind. Right? Mm -hmm. What we're doing now is really shifting our thinking about biology, how to apply it, how to reshape the pharmaceutical industry. And yeah, this type of products is in the forefront of that. And that's where those two worlds come together. And mm -hmm. for me, yeah, I've been on both sides and now I can nicely combine it being CEO of a listed company. But I think that's how those two worlds, at least in my experience, combine. Yeah, very much purpose, purposeful work yes, for you. Absolutely. Spending your working hours on. And then 3D, because it, it, briefly we did get some information on how it works. I also saw a small little video online and they said, well, if you bring in the genes, you need a certain bus for transportation to put it into the human cells back again. And they used the metaphor of an envelope with a letter in it, while in an original virus, it's like a bad letter. You don't want to get that message because it's going to spread within you like coronavirus. You don't want to get that. But uh, what you actually are doing is taking out that letter, putting a new letter in that envelope, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, because I see you nodding, but if I'm wrong, please do correct me. Then you send this new modified virus into the patient. Yeah, oh, it's a nice way of uh, how you describe it, because indeed we call it uh, um, a virus with a certain envelope indeed. So a okay. virus has an envelope um, and we package that with our gene of interest, we call that. So the receptor, the sensor that we put in our uh, T cells, uh, the lymphocytes. and um, this virus has been uh, uh, adjusted, so it's modified so that it ca cannot replicate anymore, so it cannot spread. So mm -hmm. it, it can uh, only one time deliver its content and then, uh, and that will be, at this moment, it's done 
in a laboratory in mm. very controlled way. We, we need to check whether um, all the residual virus is, is gone. Um, and um, yeah, because of the culture time, we know and, and, and because of the checks that, that we deliver a product that's completely virus free, but only connect, contains the new gene into the genome of these cells. And mm -hmm. it will contain that gene uh, in, in the patient throughout the lifespan of the cell. The new correct message. Yeah, the, the, the sensor uh, mm. in our case, uh, but it can indeed be uh, other genes as well. So yeah. that's that's where we're going, that we, we, we are probably able to um, um, add uh, more genes into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think we're also going to move away from the virus in the end and find other ways of delivering our... Uh, our, our, our gene of interest, uh, yeah. which I think is a good uh, good way. So yeah. instead, instead of using an envelope, it could be something else that you use to bring it back into the patient. Yeah, there are different ways um, of, of, of getting it, uh, shooting it directly in the cell or uh, uh, non-viral yeah. um, ways. Yeah. yeah. Jacqueline in the UK as a chief clinical officer, any experiences with other modes of transportation? For the genes, yeah, there's quite a few, as, as Trudy says, there's the, the non-viral, which is really quite an exciting field where, where you might use like a, a lipid messenger to to go into the cells and that reduces some of the risks. Um, and then as you know, there's um, other ways, uh, without getting too technical, you can, instead of using DNA, you might use mRNA. So you know, there's, there's different ways of getting it in there. And I think people will over time move away from viral vectors into perhaps um, less immunogenic envelopes, which I thought your analogy was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> less immunogenic or less nasty <laughs> letters yeah, yeah, um, yeah. to a uh, more more stable and or indeed maybe even transient deliveries yeah yeah all the credits go to youtube because i picked it up there so all the people who are still <laughs> curious on how it works simply typing youtube selling gene therapy and you get these very nice illustrative uh, videos but jacqueline staying with you you run several pre-clinical and clinical tests what are your experiences with that what have you gained what kind of wisdom or knowledge over the years um I think it's fair to say that the, the preclinical testing for these products is really complex. It's not easy. Um, and quite often there's very limited knowledge um, and very limited knowledge that you can gain before you, you start to treat patients. And unusual for, for therapies, um, usually when you first go into clinical trial, you might use healthy volunteers to look at the safety. But because of the nature of these products, quite often you, you're first going into patients um, and quite sick patients. So there's a lot of pre-work to understand your safety of your product, to understand, characterise your product and and really understand how it might act within the human body um, because it, it is going into quite a sick patient sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if I'm right, one way for you to tackle that, what you did in the UK is bringing experts together, wasn't it? Like 150 of them within Guy's Hospital, within London, to, to, to let them collaborate on this very challenging topic. Yeah, we, we, we've been really lucky. Um, we've actually got over 400 people now. Oh, um, wow. And many of them really expert 
uh, in cell and gene therapies. And, and the idea really there is that we've got a community of practice so that people can learn from each other about the how the processing might influence um, how that's going to be delivered um, in the clinic and vice versa, really learning from the clinic about what's possible um, and what's a, a suitable way to deliver it. So it, I think that the understanding between the groups and the health economics that might be required to get the, the cost of goods that you require, it, we're really lucky that we, we, we have been able to bring those people together. Yes, excellent. Erik, here in the Netherlands it went a little bit different because it's more locally kick-started in, in several locations, if I'm right, like uh, within Trudy's department in Utrecht. But um, you used to be the CEO of DC Prime, now merged with Immunicum, and now you're the CEO of Immunicum. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how that went? Because this is a local initiative from the Netherlands and you merged with a party that is in Sweden. Um, how How can you tell how the, the, the game is being played, so put, here in the Netherlands. Yeah, let me try to distinguish a little bit what we went through as a company versus mm -hmm. what's happening in the Netherlands to, to, to maybe just address the latter. Also in the Netherlands, there are good coordinated initiatives and they're also government-sponsored. And we are part, for example, of a large uh, collaboration between academia and industry involving dendritic cell biology, which is part of our technology base. So there's good collective initiatives here as well. Um, as a company, you always have to look for a way forward. And in biotechnology, it's never easy. Eh? And uh, it's technologically challenging, but also you have to convince investors to co invest in your company and not in other companies that also have very often very good thoughts and, 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 and good ideas. So it's a competitive landscape. Um, and I think there, the um, uh, search that we were in started with uh, a discovery at the Free University in Amsterdam that led to the discovery of a potential interesting cancer vaccine and also it was substantiated actually with clinical data. So we were off to a good start. Um, and then you have to take the next step, which is larger studies. You have to sort of develop yourself as a company. For example, we worked in the past with Catapult and they've been very instrumental in helping us get started while we did not have the expertise ourselves. But in the end, we thought it was better as a, as a growing company to uh, have that expertise in-house. So we decided to set up that group ourselves. Um, we went into a larger, more international uh, clinical study. And then there's a big challenge to raise uh, more money. And in the end, we wanted to uh, also enter into the capital market, so become a listed company. And what we realized was that Immunicum was working on very similar principles. So they had a similar technology basis. And also, not unimportantly, it was a good match on a personal level. Um, so it, it was one of those unique opportunities. And uh, over the course of last year, we got more familiar with each other and we merged both companies. And we already start to see now the fruits of that. Um, so there's a lot of uh, cross-fertilization in terms of technology basis and research and what have you. Um, so it's the next phase of the company. We're now a listed company. Uh, we move into one of the buildings that's being realized by Cadence, by the way. So we, we will be um, renting in a new uh, Plus Ultra building in Leiden, which is an important step for the company because it allows us to grow. It allows us to develop not only our process development capabilities, but also future manufacturing capabilities. So we're in the next phase. And mm -hmm. for biotech, I think it's always the question, how do you reach that next phase? I'm already thinking about the next phase or the next, next phase. But anyway, this is how it went. And I think, yeah, this was a unique opportunity. So it's not for the Netherlands, um, but it's certainly the path that we found as a company. And maybe as a last remark there, we do believe in collaboration. So we are actively working together with a lot of academic groups, not only academic hospitals that support our clinical studies, 
but also in general academic labs and also some other companies that have interesting technology bases where we feel if we team up with them, we have a better chance of further innovation. So you're never alone. Let's put mm -hmm. it that way. Yeah. And I, actually, I think, Eric, you have to do so because in one of the videos I did hear you say we want to become this global biopharmaceutical company. So you better work together, I would reckon, to, to actually achieve that goal. What is your vision as the CEO of Immunicum for the next five or maybe 10 years? Where do you want to work towards? What's your dream? Yeah, I think that goal is quite clear. And it also means that if you want to be a leading company and maybe just as a very small technical uh, comment, we are somewhere in the middle of, let's say, personalized medicine and in the end in vivo, so in the body techniques that, that will completely get rid of external manipulation of cells, right? That was another important element to maybe mention. What we work on is allogeneic platforms. It means that our cells are derived from a standard source, being either healthy donor material or a cell line that we have developed ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we can scale up. Right? For a company, that's extremely important. So we want to have control over our infrastructure, over our technology, but we also want to work on products that we can standardize and scale up because that's a business model. Yeah. And that translates into also an ambition to roll it out internationally, which you have to. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, of course, the US is an important market, Asia is an important market. So that's the longer term goal. Um, yeah, and to get there is a matter of taking the right steps. And we're in the middle now of doing uh, a number of important clinical studies that will also, of course, have to confirm that we're on the right track. Um, and that will translate into, I think, the next big steps for the company. And in the deeper pipeline, we also work, for example, on how our uh, technology bases can help other cell-based therapies. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're looking for combinations there, and we're also looking for combinations with other cancer immunotherapies. So that's, let's say, the deeper pipeline that we're working on. Yeah. Um, but what I described as the product development and also the company development, that's, I think, uh, the majority for the next five years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you quickly mentioned in vivo, that's within the body, isn't it? And you also have ex vivo, and then it's when cells are being extracted. And Yes, and I thought it was important to mention because it went back and forth mm -hmm. uh, in also a couple of the answers from Jacqueline and Trudy. Mm -hmm. uh, and in your question of what is gene therapy, um, gene therapy, I think, classically is something that really alters the body or parts of the body. Mm -hmm in the body itself. And what we're now talking about with cell therapies is mostly materials that we make outside the body and then administer yeah. to the patient. Yeah, so you take out several cells, you adjust them and then let them grow and then put them back in. Yes, and if they are from the patient, it's very important, of course, you have all the logistics right because you have to harvest the cells, manipulate them, and then give them back to the same patient. So that's also typically taken care of on a more local basis. Mm -hmm. Like for example, also what uh, UMCU is doing and the ICAT Institute is doing. Um, but when you want to scale up, which is important for a company like ours, you have to have standardized products, which is why we have taken uh, the, the approach of what we call allogeneic. So not from the patient itself. And yeah, that's, that's the details of course, but maybe it does illustrate a little bit more about how the field evolves and how we are positioned. Yeah, yeah. Trudy, what are you mo mostly excited about? Because you've seen a lot happening in the last years. You did your PhD in Rotterdam years ago and now heading a production unit, actually. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, first, I want to uh, say, uh, indeed, um, something to, to Eric, uh, comment on what Eric said, uh, that, indeed, a company typically 
I think, should pursue a more off-the-shelf-like product, right? So that you can really pick it, give it to many patients. And academia, on the contrast, is 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 more uh, is is uh, good, of course, in in their science. So we can invent. We have smart people working. They have, have new ideas, but um, if uh, and, and can do phase one studies. Um, but uh, are going to play in this field, I think, also a different role than in, in the classical drugs by uh, um, ensuring infrastructures or uh, that, that can provide these local productions if necessary. So, um, And I think that would be a shift in the coming years that we need to change the system that, that, that we are allowed to do and produce uh, locally uh, these uh, personalized medicine um, so that's one thing, and what because I because right now it's not yet allowed. Now um, um, there are uh, many many clinical studies going on with the so-called point of care treatment, but um, how are we gonna deal with that um, uh, when it's registered? Nobody has the correct answer yet it's because also, it's never done before no so uh, and it's also something Jacqueline's working on so maybe she can add uh, later uh, mm, uh, uh, on that but um, uh, what what we, I also can um, um, uh, only agree upon is with this collaboration uh, what you mentioned that that we should as academia and companies work together and that's also what we what we aim for to do in our uh, center that we uh, in Utrecht uh, started um, to to uh, establish the innovation center for advanced therapies uh, in which we collect locally all the experts uh, on our campus from the UMC Utrecht the university in pharmaceutical sciences but also from the pediatric uh, um, oncology center at Princess Maxima center and we would want to build this pipeline of innovation translating these medicines uh, production-wise that they can be produced mm -hmm. under, under these strict uh, regulations and then produce them and have clinical studies. And uh, I think this is key that you integrate, that you make an integrated infrastructure because now also locally people are working on their islands and then think, oh yeah, maybe we would like to go into an, uh, an, a clinical study and beyond. Mm -hmm. But if you collaborate early on with the experts that know what 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 you need to adjust for if you want to produce this under uh, strict regulations. Uh, if you do that f from the early start, it will make a huge benefit and we can really get these medicines to the patients yeah. instead. Uh, uh, and yeah, I think the, the, the experts we also would like to involve is health economic experts really can really make uh, already early on uh, and also regulatory uh, experts in such a center and work together with companies. Yeah, uh, yeah. The way yeah. it's nestled within my head right now, because after the briefing, I was spinning around with information that was totally new for me. It's like, actually, we're talking about the fight against cancer here. It can be used for other diseases as well, as we said before. But now we're on the battlefield against cancer. There were several weapons at hand, but cell and gene therapy is a whole new weapon what you can put in against mm -hmm. uh, fighting the cancer, but also you need certain strategies and also tactics, like people taking up their role on the battlefield. And that's uh, different for someone who's from the academian world versus someone who's CEO of a company. So this, uh, this is within my head, clarifying a little bit what you're working on, because it's a massive field of opportunities. 
but uh, with many uh, expertise as well. Yeah. yeah. Jacqueline, do you want to add something on the on the on the part of cell and gene therapy and where we had it? Well, I, I think picking up on what Trudy and Eric have both said, um, I think collaboration in this field is is really critical. And actually, I'd say that collaboration in this field is more than in any other pharmaceutical field. Mm. We have large pharma interacting with very small SMEs who have just spun out of academia and working together through, we, we have this network called the Advanced Therapy Treatment Centre Network in the UK, where we're working with the NHS and about 60 industry players, um, manufacturers, developers, um, technology developers, And they really are working together to try and solve a common problem so that the 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 scale up of the allogeneic that Eric is talking about is possible because you have a, a slick delivery service, mm -hmm. but also the the autologous individual patient uh, delivery that Trudy's talking about is also possible. And they're very different modalities. And I think if, if industry works together with the NHS and with academia, you actually can really future-proof this and, and gain the knowledge from each other to do it. So I think collaboration is really important. Coming back to what Trudy said about um, you, you absolutely need allogeneics to, to be able to treat many, many people, which is also what Eric was saying. I think that to a certain extent is true. Absolutely. Um, but th there are other modalities and the point of care um, delivery mechanism um, is an option, but it's a complex option. You have to ensure that the the licensure is correct from the regulators. You have to ensure that people are trained appropriately um, and that the quality of the product is similar throughout all of the hospitals. Um, and there's an initiative in the UK with the medicines a healthcare regulator, the MHRA here, but they're actually looking at how this might be possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the two modalities are probably options for different types of diseases, allogeneic, large scale, large batches, which are ready off the shelf. You can treat pe mm -hmm. people really quickly. Yeah. Holy grail. Yeah. Um, it might take a wee bit longer um, yeah. than... Um, five years so maybe in 20 years that'll be standard practice but I think in the meantime there's going to be a mixed economy yeah yeah I imagine then it will be commonplace as we said in the statement we we still have several minutes left and I don't know if we can manage within this time but if we take a little bit further like when people are burned in an accident they can get skin transplantation but also we've got plastic surgeons nowadays so we can also use certain techniques within medicine fields to enhance ourselves Will this cell and gene therapy, will this be used for it one day as well to become, I don't know, more witty or uh, <laughs> to have a better skin or to have another color of eyes? Will this be happening anytime soon, Trudy? Well, it's not something that I pursue uh, <laughs> <laughs> myself. It has and, to do with ethics, maybe. Yeah, so no, I rather look uh, forward that we that in 20 years we are able to to more safely uh, 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 be able to have a, a very safe and very defined gene engineered product 
where we can maybe add more genes or, or get rid of some genes that we don't need and, and deliver that to the patient to treat cancer. Yeah. That's, uh, that's my uh, goal for 20 yeah, years, but I don't, I don't want uh, brown eyes. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think, Eric? Because I do see the dollar signs within your eyes already. You think, wow, this is a whole new business opportunity. <laughs> That must be my uh, banking past. But, uh, <laughs> no, I think that, um, uh, well, two comments really. One is uh, what is possible is not always within boundaries, right? And there are boundaries, luckily. There's boundaries put up by governments, there's boundaries put up by regulatory agencies. So it's a very clear and defined path what's possible and what's not possible. Where I think there is um, a desire, there's a, always a push for a solution, right? Either because there's money to be made or because there's simply people asking for it. So. Uh, of course, there will be much more innovation. What I hope will happen is that first we address the most serious illnesses with this type of rather expensive um, but very advanced therapies. Mm -hmm. uh, but also that um, price will come down by continued innovation and not only on the product level, but also on the regulatory level. What Jacqueline was referring to, that you need to sort of have a very interactive dialogue today with regulatory agencies because all of these products are so new that also for them often it's a new dialogue. Um, that is re real revolution. Eh? And I think if we can accelerate that path and accelerate the development of this kind of therapies for serious diseases, that, that's real innovation. And everything you described is probably already possible. It's simply not allowed and for mm -hmm. good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But what I saw happening um, in the COVID field, mm -hmm. and which was putting, putting, of course, a tremendous pressure on society, um, it reminded me of what happened in the 90s when the HIV AIDS epidemic came up, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden there was such a burst of innovation. Mm -hmm. And it was not only on the product level, it was also on the level of people really pushing hard to get products on the market. Yeah. And um, I think both of those periods have shown it's possible. Yeah. So that's why I hope real innovation will contribute yeah. to the field. And actually use existing crises for the better. As yeah, because I think cancer is also a crisis. It's just a slower one. But well, uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it affects uh, one in so many. So for the listeners as well, there's always, unfortunately, someone near who has dealt with the disease. Um, still, slowly but surely, we have to wrap up. And I wonder whether you still have a key message or a shout out or maybe a question or something for young medicine students who are crawling out of their corona bubble and maybe willing to join the field. Maybe you have a message for them when they're listening by coincidence. Well, um, there's really a lot going on and so many new exciting technologies. So uh, being on the forefront, on the crossroad of different disciplines, really come and join the cell and gene therapy uh, You've got Efforts. positions open in Utrecht? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough. <laughs> yeah, for me, it would be join the field. Join in Munich if you want, but join the field. I think medicine is about uh, trying to pre prevent or reduce suffering. And the suffering from current cancer therapies is enormous. So there's lots to do and be inspired and uh, take a step. Yeah. What about you, Jacqueline? I, I agree. I think this is an amazing field and anyone that is going into medicine now it, it's just so exciting and the, the chances of having really curative uh, medicines must be so appealing to medics if they were starting out in their career so Excellent. and and I think using the medical knowledge but also you know looking at the health economics how can we afford these you know have a real understanding from a very early age how you would do this yeah 
Thank you so much, all three of you. We, we started off with the statement, in 20 years, cell and gene therapies for cancer will be commonplace. I guess it was only you who disagreed, wasn't it? But now, by hearing all this, did you change your opinion? Now, yeah, I, I agree that in 20 years we, we, we can cure m many more uh, patients with... Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, well I, I'm, sure. I'm convinced by your <laughs> bundled expertise and enthusiasm, we, we will get very, very far, I would say. I learned heaps. <laughs> I think that's what they say in Australia. What do they say in Scotland? Because you came all the way to the studio in London, <laughs> Jacqueline. But how do you how, how do you say in Scottish? I learned heaps. Um, I learned masses. Masses. <laughs> Excellent. Well, for now we we have to wrap it up. I want to thank you all of you um, a lot. Um, and to the dear listener, you've been listening to Building the Future, a podcast by Kadan Science Partner. Many thanks to our guest, Jacqueline Barry, Chief Clinical Officer at Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult, sitting in London, coming from Scotland. Erik Manting, CEO at Immunicum, working together with the Swedes. And as well, Trudy Stratemans, Assistant Professor at UMC in Utrecht. Thank you so, so much for participating in this conversation. And for all people who have their heads spinning, simply type in YouTube Cell and Gene Therapy. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more about this podcast or our guests, go to cadans.com slash podcast. Here you'll also learn more about Cadans Science Partner and how it connects innovative organizations and ecosystems throughout Europe helping them to work on sustainable solutions for the future. And do not forget to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite app, so you won't miss our upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, and my name is Rudy van Beurden. <laughs>